Welcome to The Little Sleep Show, a podcast about helping your children and family get the sleep you need. Hosted by Laura Meyercourt. Hello and welcome back to The Little Sleep Show. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm an infant and child sleep consultant. Today I have an episode that was requested by a listener. I threw a question out there on Instagram what would you guys like to hear about on the little sleep show? And someone wrote back toddler sleep. And I'll tell you guys the toddler category, particularly age two to three, three and a half is probably my most popular client category as well, just because the combination of the new um, kind of empowerment that these little creatures have at age two and three, the stubbornness, that little independence streak that they have, but then they're also still little kids and they still need their parents very much. So that can be a recipe for some real sleep challenges. I wanna get into some of them today and then I'll of course give you guys some tools to be able to handle them. So the toddler years, I looked up the definition of toddler because to me, a toddler I thought was like 18 to two and a half. and Technically, a toddler is between 12 to 36 months. So you have a little one who is more able to get around and perhaps able to start to vocalize on the younger end of that. And then on the older end, you have a little one who's, you know, ready to go into preschool. So it's a pretty big age range, but I'll give you some of the most common issues that I see with my clients and common questions that I get from parents that they want to hear answers to. Um, whenever I, you know, someone hears I'm a sleep consultant, I get like the same five questions all the time. <laughs> Some common toddler sleep challenges. First, I just want to talk about the toddler years can be some of the most challenging. And that, I want you to just keep that in your mind. If you're the parent of a toddler, just to be prepared because even if your little one was a good sleeper in the past, now that they're getting some more of their own self-will and some more independence, it might turn out that your quote-unquote good sleeper is a not-so-good sleeper anymore, particularly when we throw things in like climbing out of the crib or getting out of bed multiple times, potty training, those kind of things. It can really throw a wrench into things. Your child's sleep needs are going to change quite a bit during this time, and that's also a big part of it. The naps are a big key to a lot of toddler sleep challenges, so stay tuned when I'm talking about naps because I'll give you some pointers on what to look for because almost inevitably when I get a client who's a toddler, the nap has something to do with the sleep challenge that's going on. It might not be the, the full picture of it. There's usually other things. Separation anxiety is one that's huge, and I'm going to talk about that uh, in just a minute. But that nap can be very problematic and can cause lots of sleep challenges. So I'll talk about that shortly. So separation anxiety. Um, I did a whole episode on separation anxiety, actually, just last week, because I think it's very misunderstood. I think people think that's separation anxiety is when I go to work and I leave my child with the babysitter and they cry. That's part of it, but that's only a very small part of separation anxiety. It has to do with attachment, and I go into this a little more in depth in my episode, but basically until about six years old, children are not fully developed 
as separate beings. They're still, they still are part of you in the sense that they still need you to be able to get their basic needs met and to have to take care of them and to protect them. I mean, this goes back to, you know, the caveman days when they kept their children close and everybody watched over the children because if you didn't, you know, um, saber-toothed tiger would come and get your baby. Well, we don't have that issue today, thank goodness. But the instinct to be close to your parent is still there. And that's why children don't enjoy separation. They are biologically wired not to. They're biologically wired to want to be close to you. And even after age six, when they're technically fully developed separate beings, you will still see separation anxiety, particularly in a more anxiously temperamented child. And I go into that much more in depth. So if you're struggling with separation anxiety, I'm going to just give you a little bit here pertinent to toddlers, but you might want to go back and listen to the episode about separation anxiety because I go much more in depth. The cause of stalling at bedtime, all those requests that they're giving you. I want water. I want one more story. I want this. I want that. Separation anxiety. They're trying to get more time with you. Bedtime battles, which is probably one of the biggest challenges at this age. And it's because they don't want to be separated from you. So any unprocessed feelings and emotions from the day will make your child even more anxious and emotional at bedtime. So if there's anything going on in their life, a stressor or something out of the ordinary, something happened that day, and it can be something so small that you may not even notice. As I talked about in previous episodes, things that our children experience as stressful and anxiety provoking may seem like nothing to us. And so if your child is really struggling at bedtime, they still have needs that haven't been met, most likely emotional needs, And the likelihood of them developing sleep challenges or having a sleep challenge, you know, night wakings, early morning wakings, as a result of these continual unprocessed feelings and emotions is pretty high. So when I work with a family that has bedtime battles, we concentrate on connection, connection during the day, connection at bedtime, quality time, making sure that that need is met as much as possible during the day so that at night your child feels safe and secure and they can relax. What can seem like a frustrating behavioral problem, just a cry for more connection, more attention, and some understanding. You know, they have very rudimentary ways of expressing themselves, little ones, toddlers. You know, they're full of feelings and emotions and their world is constantly expanding and that's exciting and scary all at the same time. And there's still so much brain growth and development happening at this age, tons. And they just get overwhelmed quite a bit. That's why you see these big outbursts of emotion. A lot of it at bedtime will be separation anxiety. They don't know how to regulate themselves. They don't know how to regulate their emotions yet. And so they're looking to you to help them. One tip that I read while I was researching this episode, and I thought it was a really good concept. I hadn't heard it put this way before. I've heard make goodbyes very positive experience, but forget where I found this. One article said, instead of focusing on the goodbye, focus on the next time you'll be together and the fun things you'll do together. So talk about that. So talk about at bedtime, talk about in the morning, we're going to do this, 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 or tomorrow we have this to look forward to. You know, if you're leaving them with a babysitter, talk about what you guys are going to make together for dinner that night. You get the idea, but not 
making it about the goodbye, making it a something that they have to look forward to. Because if there's one thing I've learned from all this coronavirus quarantine stuff, it's that we all need something to look forward to. The fact that we haven't really had a date to say, this is when you're going to get some of your life back, I think is what's made this particularly challenging. At least for me, I'll speak for myself. I like to have an end date so that I I have something to look forward to. And, you know, even for myself, like I would plan trips and different um, family outings and all kinds of things that we just aren't able to do. And having not having something to look forward to is just a big bummer. So even if you can give your child something very small to look forward to, it will make the goodbye or the separation a much more positive experience. Take opportunities to connect when you can, even if it's 10 minutes of complete undivided attention. And I talk a lot about this in my episode about the power of play, how you can connect with your child through play. If you want some more pointers on how to work that into your day or how to best meet your child's needs with play, listen to that episode as well. Um, Supporting their tears and their strong emotions really important not to try to downplay it or distract them. Again, it goes back to those unprocessed feelings and emotions. If they don't get them out, they're going to come out somehow. It's better to hold your child or sit with your child. Let them express their emotions when you're leaving. You know, if your child gets upset, it's healthy. It's developmentally healthy for them to get upset when you're leaving. It's also okay if they are comfortable with their care with their other caregiver and don't cry. But don't feel bad if your child cries when you leave. It's They are just wired that way. When your child is upset, you can listen. You can validate what they're feeling, even if you think they're too young. That must be really hard for you. I know this is not easy. I miss you too. Those kinds of statements to reassure your child that you understand where they're coming from and why they're so upset. Even if you feel guilty and sad yourself, Your child doesn't have any kind of tools to be able to deal with these strong emotions yet, and they look to you to how to deal with them. So keep in mind that separation anxiety is a very big part of what's probably going on with your family. Any kind of nighttime fears, your child getting out of bed, coming to you at night, a lot of that has to do with separation anxiety. The next most popular toddler sleep question I get, and this is often an ingredient in the recipe for sleep challenge, climbing out of the crib. Oh my goodness, I cannot tell you how many families, probably nine out of 10 families at this age category have climbing out of the crib issues. And this is, again, it can be the root of some sleep challenges because even though your child's climbing out of the crib, they're not necessarily ready to go to a bed yet. So the situation can get a little tricky. Number one, important statement, because I get asked this question a lot, crib tents are no don't use crib tents. And I mean those mesh tents that go all the way over the crib and then they have like usually a zipper. Those are actually banned. They were banned, I think, in Australia and maybe England a while ago and they just got banned in the US. I don't know how long ago it was. I should have probably looked it up, but I know they're not uh, recommended anymore. They're not safe. They can be a strangulation hazard. Now, when I was a nanny, we used them and they were great, but You definitely don't want to be using something that's a strangulation hazard. Children can get into all kinds of trouble and we don't need to give them something that's unsafe to get into trouble with. So there are other solutions to try. 
Lower the mattress all the way down. This one's kind of a no-brainer, but some families haven't tried it yet to see if their little one can't climb out. So some combination of lowering the mattress down and then trying a sleep sack. If your little one has never slept with a sleep sack, that can sometimes be a deterrent. Sometimes your child is not deterred at all by a sleep sack. The sleep sack is just, um, if you haven't, if you aren't familiar with them, it's kind of like a bag that zips up from the bottom or from the top and the zippers on the bottom so that your child can kind of have a blanket around them, but it's still safe because it's not a loose blanket in the crib. So sleep sacks are just great all around, but they can be a deterrent to climbing. When I was looking into this episode, just kind of looking on message boards and things for things that people have tried, I found these pajamas called Little Grounders now. This is not sponsored in any way. I've never actually seen these in person, but the idea of them is pretty cool. Maybe something to try. They are a onesie, like a onesie pajama, long sleeve, long legs. And then they have a little strip of fabric. You kind of have to look this up and Google little grounders pajamas, a little strip kind of along across the thighs that will hopefully prevent your little one from climbing because they can't lift their leg over. So I don't know. You can check it out for yourself if this is a persistent problem in your house and you want to try these. Why not? You know, it might give you another couple months of, you know, not being terrified your child's going to fall out of their crib. Another one that's a no-brainer that people sometimes don't think about is remove any items that could be climbed on, stuffed animals, blankets, any kind of that stuff. You can also put pillows or a mattress in front of the crib if you still really want your little one to be in the crib. And especially if they just do this periodically and you just want to make sure that they're safe if they do fall out, put a mattress or pillows in front of the crib. So if they fall out, they have something soft to land on. And then on along that line, you can try a mattress on the floor as a first bed. Because a bed, for, for instance, if your two-year-old is persistently climbing out, you've tried everything and you have to switch to a bed, bed can be a big scary place and it's high up off the ground and they don't have the safety of the crib rails. Maybe trying a mattress on the floor might make it feel a little more secure to them if you make it kind of like a little safe nest, you know. On that note, also just making sure when you do transition to the bed, make the bed as cozy and comfy as possible. And one suggestion I heard uh, on another podcast was to try one of those pop tents, pop-up tents, They're like privacy pop tents is one of them that go, that one goes all the way around the bed, but there's other different ones. Ikea has one that's very reasonably priced that can just give them that kind of feeling of being surrounded that they used to have in their crib. And it may make it a little, the transition a little easier. Nap transition. So I did talk about naps at the beginning of this podcast, and that is because it can be an important part of solving any toddler sleep challenge. So As I said, the toddler's sleep needs change. So between 12 months to 36 months, your child may go from two naps to one naps, in some cases to no naps, although we want to try to hold on to that nap as, as, as long as possible. Three is the minimum age that you should be looking at giving that nap up. Um, and even then your child should still have that, you know, the rest period, quiet time that you've established already. Most likely there's going to be a nap kind of refusal around age two. And at that time, you'll establish that there's quiet time no matter what. You'll talk to your child and say, we have to have a quiet time at this time. If you tell them you're sleeping too, mommy or daddy, we need a rest too. I need to take a little break. 
I used to tell the kids all the time when I was nannying that I was sleeping too. And I swear I worked like a charm because as long as they know that they're not missing out on anything, they can go to sleep more easily during the day. It's toddlers just want to play and be part of everything and don't want to miss out on anything. They got major FOMO. So if you let them know that you're going to be sleeping too, just might help them to go to sleep. One of the biggest things I see with the nap with toddlers is the nap is starting too late or it's going too late in the afternoon. Um, Depending on your child's age and where they're at, and you can look at this on, um, find one of those charts with wake windows and time that your child should be awake between naps. And these are really general, but they do help you get an idea of what the general requirements are for your baby's age. And of course, no two children are alike. Some are gonna need more sleep, some are gonna need less sleep, but it gives you a ballpark figure, something to work with. You know, nobody really knows until, like I don't really know until I study a particular child's habits and routines. And then I can kind of get an idea of what the ideal times would be. And for your child, you know them really well. But making sure that that afternoon nap is not affecting bedtime. So if your child is napping until 3, 3.30, 4, that is pretty much a big no-no because that's going to cut into bedtime. Um, If you see the combination of a long nap or a late nap and then trouble at bedtime, the place to start looking at that is, is the nap and start to look at, can we move this earlier? And the way to do that is 15 minutes Every few days, you move it earlier and earlier. So if your child was going down at 2, try mo- try moving it to one forty-five for a few days. And it might be hard, you know? Depending on how- some kids, they have really strong body clocks that just like the same time. And also looking at how long have they been awake since since morning because they need to have enough time in between that to be able to fall asleep for that nap. So timing is quite important when it comes to toddler naps. And then... Also trying to trim that nap down, especially as your child heads more toward the two and a half, three, three and a half year old age, that nap should probably be around an hour and a half or an hour to an hour and a half. And then um, looking at if that helps things, if it still seems problematic, you can cut it down when your child is three, three and a half to like 45 minutes. As long as you're getting a little rest period to carry them to bedtime, that's really what a nap is. It's a rest for their body and brain to carry them over to bedtime because being awake continuously for too long for someone who's little and brain isn't fully developed yet, it causes their body to release uh, stress hormones. And we don't want that because those are the root of many, many sleep challenges. When your child has excess stress hormones in their body, they can lead to the night wakings and refusal to go to sleep at bedtime and um, early morning wakings, those kinds of things. As I talked about, you want to establish a quiet time. One way to do that is to use a timer. Like for instance, on Amazon, they have big digital timers that are really easy to read and you can set it for whatever. Uh, 45 minutes to an hour, I think is a good amount of time. You can do longer than that if you think your child can stand an hour and a half in their room. But I think 45 minutes to an hour is enough to see if your child is going to nap or not. And it's enough to give them a little break, their little, little brains a break. So try using a timer to see if that helps, or you can try using one of those okay to wait clocks as well. Some of them have nap settings to let them know so that they're not constantly calling for you or trying to come out of the room and say, is it time to get up yet? Is it time to get up yet? So at least if you want to get something done during that time or lay down yourself, you'll be able to because your child will stay in bed and wait for the timer. 
with some persistence around age two, you can usually get that nap back. If you keep the, the same nap time and keep it as a quiet time and keep the routine regular, most often children will stop fighting the nap. It's developmental. So they just are getting that independent streak and they want to be awake. And they're also going through milestones and their brains are very active. So it's harder to take the nap when you're going through milestones and your brain is very active. They're just more easily stimulated. The older your child gets, the more distractible, the more easily stimulated they become because they're curious and fascinated with the world around them. So some things to keep in mind, really important for toddlers. Toddlers need routine, consistency, and time between transitions. So plenty of warning time before nap time, before bedtime. They really like to be prepared. Use consistent routines. So the more repetitive you can be with, we're going to have lunch and then you're going to play for five minutes and then we're going to go upstairs and then we're going to change your diaper and then we're going to read one book, sing one song and put you in your crib. Toddlers love that. They love knowing what's coming next. And they also like boundaries. If you are letting your child run the show, it's going to be really hard to, to put a boundary on that. The older your child gets, the harder it becomes to set boundaries. So it's better to set them when they're young. You're going to get some pushback, but that's okay. It's like, you know, are, is your child excited to go to the doctor? No. Does your child need to go to the doctor? Yes. So we do it anyway. For some reason, sleep is thought of as some kind of punishment that we're giving to our child because they're fighting it. It's the same thing as going to the doctor, going to the dentist, you know, putting their shoes on, things that they don't necessarily want to do, but they have to do. And think of it that way. And it might become easier to set some boundaries with your child. Another tip is to give them small choices so that they feel empowered. If your little one is struggling, or even if they're not, letting them choose the books at bedtime or letting them choose which pajamas they're going to wear or, you know, little things like that, which cup they want to take upstairs to to drink from, you know, something really simple. And you can even do this throughout the day to let them feel like they have a say and they're empowered. The more toddlers feel like they're in control, the more likely they are to go along with, with the routines that you've set out for them. And then get back to basics. You know, if you're having trouble with your toddler's sleep, look at the, look at the schedule. Are you, are you giving your child an age appropriate schedule? Is it a regular schedule to the best of your ability? I know some day, some families have different days, different schedules, but are those days predictable for your child? Are daycare days run a certain way and then home days run a certain way, for instance? What about the sleep environment? Is it dark enough? Is it quiet with, with white noise so that your child doesn't get woken by noises in the house? You know, is it cool enough or is it very hot in there? And so kind of those very basic things you know, has your child dr drank a lot before they go to bed? Well, then they're going to have to get up and go to the bathroom or they're going to have a soggy, wet diaper, trying to figure out how we can accommodate their needs, but also kind of uh, stop sleep problems before they become a problem. I think the drinking one with toddlers, particularly, that's a popular way for toddlers to stall. So if you can somehow figure out how to anticipate that need, maybe giving your toddler a glass of water before you know, half an hour before bedtime and then filling it up just a little bit and giving them a little sip so that it doesn't disrupt their sleep. It depends on each individual case. I've worked with different families with different cases. And sometimes you do have to leave a water bottle, like a closed, a closed water bottle with your child during the night because they would 
instead get up and ask you for a drink of water. And that's fine as long as your child is able to handle sleeping with a a wet diaper or getting up to go to the bathroom by themselves. Night fears can also be a big part of sleep challenges during this age and nightmares. I think the last I read, and I think I talk about this in my nighttime fears episode, that nightmares can start as early as 12 months. I'm sure it's really hard to tell if your child is having nightmares at 12 months. It's probably a lot easier two or three-year-old because they can tell you that they had a scary dream. But just be aware that that can start as early as 12 months. Where it comes from at this age is they don't understand the difference between fantasy and reality. And a big part of it is, you know, as adults, we still process stress, anxiety, difficult situations. That's how our bodies and brains process them during the night is through dreams. And so your child is, you know, having their stress and anxiety and experiences during the day processed in their dreams. And it's a scary thing for a child because they don't know what's real and what's not real. And um, night fears is a big challenge at this age and it can cause a lot of sleep disruption. So there's a lot of different tools that you can use. And I will refer you to my nighttime fears podcast because I give you a ton of tools and resources to help your child, you know, not only with deciphering between fantasy and reality, right? So giving them tools when they're scared, tools to explore their room before they go to sleep, for instance, you know, using a flashlight in the dark in their room to show them that things are not really actually scary. They're just pieces of furniture and toys to helping your child relax before bed, giving them positive visualizations maybe doing a meditation or some deep breathing. So I give you all kinds of different tools to help your child with night fears. So I'm not going to go deep into it in this episode, but I know from my clients that almost every client has some sort of issue with night fears at this age. Another big one, probably like number three after the climbing out of the crib is coming into the parents' room. This is one that I get asked about all the time. How do I stop my child from coming into my room? Well, parents tend to see this as a behavioral issue. And the when we look at sleep holistically, so this is the difference between sleep training and holistic sleep work. Sleep training would be, this is how you get your child to stay in bed. You walk them back to bed and don't say anything to them and you keep doing it, you know, 89 times until they finally stay in bed. With holistic sleep work, we are looking for what is the root of this problem? Why is your child waking three, four times a night and coming into your room? So we are actually trying to solve the issue under the issue. And that's much more of a long-term solution. And that's much more it serves your child much better to try to get to the root of why are they waking multiple times a night? What are they afraid of? What's going on with my child that they are too scared to stay in their own room? And also a part of that that parents sometimes don't want to hear is how have I contributed to this sleep challenge? Because a lot of times, and this is not, uh, I'm not trying to say this in a negative way. I always tell my clients that you need to cope however you need to cope. You need sleep. Your child needs sleep. And you need to give your child comfort. So whatever you're doing works until it doesn't work anymore. And that's when people usually will contact a sleep consultant when whatever they're doing to um, console their child just stops working or isn't working for the whole family anymore. Just because I say parents might have a part in the sleep challenge, it's not a negative thing. It's just a fact of of parenting is that we're going to do things that are going to comfort our child that are maybe going to lead to them 
needing us much more in the long term than is actually necessary. Hopefully that makes sense to you guys. I don't ever want you to feel like I'm, you know, scolding or shaming a parent for comforting their child. I would never, ever do that. But the key is when it stops working for your family, when nobody's getting any sleep with what used to work, that's when you're going to need some help and intervention. So giving your child suggestions or tools to be able to fall asleep, we want to help empower our children to know that they can do it. Some of the things I talk about on the nighttime fears episode can be applied here. Actually, a lot, quite a few. So visualizations, positive visualizations at night, giving them positive things to dream about, walking them through a guided meditation where they're imagining a favorite place and using all their senses is very grounding. You know, giving them a certain toy or a suggestion to why don't you cuddle your lovey and, and cuddle your lovey back to sleep or, or help your lovey get back to sleep. He's tired too. Showing your child how to do deep breathing. These are all tools that you might have to work with your child for a while on, but eventually they may use them th- themselves. That's the hope at least, right? When they're old enough to understand, oh, I actually have the tools to be able to put myself back to sleep. So that's empowering a child and that's working holistically with the sleep challenge, not just trying to train them to go back to their bed, but actually giving them tools to empower them. Using a dim nightlight in the room can sometimes help some children and for some it can be more stimulating. So you'll have to see how that goes with your individual child. What I suggest is a salt lamp nightlight, which are really easily they're easily found on Amazon. Um, I've seen them all over the place, Bed Bath & Beyond. Also, if you can't find that or you don't want that, you can use uh, one of those nightlights that changes red, amber, yellow, or even on Amazon. I think I found an amber nightlight for, I think, like four bucks or something like that. So definitely doing a warm, dim light that will have less uh, impact on the melatonin production in your child's brain and less potential to be stimulant to them when they wake up in the middle of the night. Giving lots of positive praise is huge, just all across the board, but particularly with sleep. So the next morning, if they've stayed in their bed or if they've stayed there after you've walked them back and soothed them, you can just say, wow, I'm so proud of you. Look what you did. You stayed in your own bed. You're so strong. You're my hero. You know, really talking up how strong kids love to be the hero. I mean, that concept of saving and being the hero It's a big popular theme in childhood. And so if they can be painted as the hero in the story, they're going to love that. So any little thing that they do with sleep that's positive or moving in the right direction, give them lots of praise. Putting on a story or meditation for them to fall asleep. I really love this suggestion and there's apps, Calm app. Um, I use the Insight Timer app and that one's free. There's different apps that have stories and meditations, particularly for children. The only thing I want to caution you about is you should also have a white noise machine playing in the background because sounds that have an end to them or sounds that have like, for instance, if you're playing music that changes tempo can actually disturb sleep. So if your child is in a sleep cycle and they're nearing the end and they're in that period of partial being partially awake, if Things are not the way that they were when your child went to sleep. So for instance, if there was a story on and now there's silence, your child is going to most likely wake up. So if you can have some background white noise and put the story on, the likelihood of their sleep being disrupted by the story stopping eventually is going to be much less. You can definitely walk your child back to bed giving little to no interaction, but give them reassurance once you get them to their bed. Try not to linger. Try not to lay with them. 
unless you don't mind having to do that every night. Because if you start laying with your child, the likelihood that that's going to become something your child needs to comfort them or just something they want to comfort them is pretty high. And that's going to be something that eventually you're going to have to gradually move away from them, for instance, with a mattress or a sleeping bag on the floor. Um, And that's something you need to think about for yourself and for your partner. Do you guys want to do that? And um, if your child requests it, you can just say, no, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to put my hand on your back. And setting a boundary with children is okay. If you know, I'm not going to be able to lay in my child's bed with them every night, or I don't want to have to spend a month moving across my child's room on a sleeping bag so that I can break this association. Think about what you're you're willing to do. Are you willing to stay in the room with your child until they fall back to sleep? Because you might have to do that for a little bit of time. If your child's having fears and separation anxiety and very upset at night, just walking them back to bed and expecting them to stay there, it's, it's not helping to build that trust, build that attachment, and build confidence that they're able to do it by themselves. It takes time for children to build trust in you that you're going to come when they need you and in themselves that they can actually get themselves back to sleep. So that's something that children often need help with. If you've been letting your child come in your bed, you may choose to keep a mattress in your room if that's something that you and your partner decide is okay to let your child come and sleep on that quietly just so that they're not coming into your bed and disturbing your sleep. So that's one way of letting your child sleep in your room without um, having them disturb your sleep. If you want to transition your child to their own bed and they've been sleeping in your bed, the way you want to start this is in your child's room. On a mattress on the floor next to the bed would be ideal. And then put your child in their bed as you move away from them. So that's one way of trying to gradually Either move your child out of your bed or break the association of you laying with them. Um, there's different ways of doing this and there's different methods, but I find the the one that works best is just gradually moving away from them, but only doing it when your child is comfortable. You don't want to upset your child because it's going to set the progress back quite a bit if you do. If they lose the trust in you, if you leave the room too soon, you know, before they're ready, it's going to break the trust and it's going to set the whole process back because it's going to give them even more anxiety. So that can be a complicated issue and it takes different amounts of time for different families. You know, if you if you find your family is kind of stuck, definitely I encourage you to contact me because I can help walk you through how to solve these sorts of sleep challenges. And as you can see, the toddler sleep challenges often have many layers to them. You might have all of these things going on. A lot of the families I work with have separation anxiety, nap problems, climbing out of the crib, nighttime fears, and coming to the parents' room all wrapped into one. So you can see that it does take some time and patience to undo or to solve some of these sleep challenges. They can be quite complicated because sleep is you know, all about being safe and secure and calm. And if there's any sort of stress or anxiety in your child's life, again, even if you don't see it that way, it can become a sleep challenge. This episode has gone long enough and I probably could go on another hour talking about toddler sleep challenges, but I want to end with giving you a reflection this week. And I thought really hard, like, what can I give parents as a tool to help with their toddlers? And this is just a really general one. Um, Not necessarily for sleep, but just for, you know, day to day. You know, I was introduced to the concept of HALT, which is hungry, angry, lonely, tired 
in my 30s. So I never learned this. I didn't know this when I was a nanny. Of course, I knew the connection between sleep and behavioral issues. A lot of the time, if, if a child is sleep deprived, they're they're just going to be more prone to having tantrums and meltdowns. I understood that because I had been working with um, children's sleep for many years. But the hungry, angry, lonely, tired is this little checklist that you can easily go down when your child is is having an issue, when they're having a breakdown, and you're just like, how do I help this little person? Go down that checklist and do hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And oftentimes it's a combination of things for little toddlers. And see how you can help them and see how you can understand why they might be having a hard time. A lot of times as parents, and even though I know this and I say this to you guys, I do it all the time. I take things personally. I take my child's behavior personally. It's just, you know, our children are an extension of us. And of course, we're going to take it personally. But thinking about is my child, does do are their needs met? Are their basic needs met? Or is there something I can do to help this child? Or do we just need to cut our losses and, you know, go home if it's too much, if my child is overwhelmed? So really the question is, what is my child trying to tell me? And you can use this at nighttime as well. If your child is stalling or if they're getting very upset at bedtime, your child's trying to tell you something. They just don't have the tools to be able to do it. So hopefully some of this will help some of you families struggling with the toddler sleep challenges. I know they can be complicated and they can take time, but give yourself three to four weeks. Honestly, if you're working on these challenges, it takes time, especially if you are trying to create new habits or you're adjusting a schedule. It just takes time and you're going to get some resistance and that's okay. It's normal and natural. So that's my episode. Take care, everybody, and take care of each other. I will see you next week with an all-new episode. And if you have a minute, please go on iTunes and rate and review my podcast. I would appreciate it so much because it'll help me get more exposure and help other people discover The Little Sleep Show and have access to this very important information for their families. So thank you so much for your support. Take care. Bye. next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, follow us on Instagram and Facebook for tips on sleep and a whole lot more. See you next week.